Uh, we are starting a new series called Ruth, uh, Hope in God's Hands. Could you all open up your Bibles to Ruth? We've got a lot to cover this morning, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, open up your Bibles to Ruth. If you're not an Old Testament person, it's near the beginning of the Old Testament. Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth, okay? We're going to take, uh, there's six chapters in Ruth, and we're going to hit one chapter a week, okay? It's a chunk we're going to bite off a chunk every single week, but I, I, I love, I'm loving this story, okay? So what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm just going to read. Is that okay? I, uh, I really love scripture. Um, we tell the students in the student ministry here at Northview, we love the Bible. So um, we're going to read from the Bible, all right? If you want to follow along, I'm just going to read all of chapter one in Ruth. Is that cool? In the days... Of the judges, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in a company of uh, in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malin and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites. So here's a, a tip: if you're ever reading big words in scripture. Like, no one else knows how to pronounce them either. Just read them fast and no one knows you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. Uh-oh. And uh, the, names, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Chilion died. So the, women, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from, that, uh, from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, uh, as, you have, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you... Uh, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, you, you, that, you may become, that, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this, uh, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, No, do not urge me to leave uh, or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? 
She said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. So she's saying, my name is now bitter, okay? That's not good. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and, uh, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would bless us this morning, that you would... Uh, help me to articulate the things that you have asked me to, that, uh, the things that you've uh, pointed out in your word. May um, we understand your word, uh, uh, treasure your word, and apply it to our lives. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, so I got a question for you guys. Um, how, many you guys are on, how many of you guys are on Pinterest? Let's be honest. Okay, how many guys are, okay, how many guys are lying about being on Pinterest? Okay. <laughs> Uh, um, men, it's, it's officially cool to be on Pinterest, okay? You can do that. Uh, he, he, <laughs> people are shaking their head. <laughs> Aaron's like, nope. Uh, now, here, here's the thing. I, I get actually a lot of ideas from Pinterest. I can admit it. I, I will admit it. I'm confident enough myself. I can admit it. Yeah, I got a Pinterest account. All my boards are secret. Don't try to find me. Um, I get a lot of ideas from, uh, from Pinterest for like youth group, youth group games and all sorts of crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, I found out on Pinterest, it's become really fashionable to repurpose things. You guys know what this is? So repurposing things and, uh, you know, taking something old, taking something old and making it cool again, essentially is repurposing. Um, uh, repurposing is different than redeeming. I, I, I thought about this. I'm going to explain. Repurposing would be um, taking like an old pallet board. My pallet boards are all over the place in every single church. I feel like you see pallet boards now. You, uh, taking a pallet board and, and turning it into like a centerpiece on your table so you can put flowers in or whatever. That, that would be repurposing. Redeeming would be taking a car that's been in a car wreck that's destined for the junkyard and taking that and, and making it like new again, putting it back into its original state. I was thinking about this. Okay, I was thinking about Ruth. I'm like, man, Ruth is all about redeeming because that's the business that God is in. He's not in the business of repurposing. You know, in your life, God wants to redeem you. You know, you're kind of like that car that's been in a car wreck that's destined for the junkyard, and he sees you, and he wants to redeem you. He wants to make you like you were originally designed. We see this from the very beginning of Ruth. Ruth starts out in a bad place with a bad decision. Oftentimes, redemption isn't comfortable or easy. Sometimes redemption is, we have to, uh, we might have to go through some uncomfortable situations if we want to be redeemed. Ruth starts out in a bad place with a bad decision. See, the bad place is, it says right here, the first, very first line of Ruth says, in the days of the judges, in the days of the judges, it says there was a famine that ruled the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn. So we, we get the whole landscape right here. First, in the, uh, I'll, I'll give you some historical background. Uh, in, the, in the time of the judges, when the judges ruled, this wasn't an easy, happy time. There was political unrest. We have, we have Israel who is longing for a king, but instead they have these judges that are ruling over them. They're not happy with the way the government is running. Maybe they didn't put the people in office that they wanted to be in office. 
You get what I'm saying here? I don't know if this sounds familiar to us, uh, to any of you, okay? There's, there is political unrest. There are people, they are uneasy with the way they are being ruled, okay? And, and, and then we see that there's a famine in the land. And oftentimes, if you see famine in Scripture, oftentimes it is because God is disciplining his people. It is a tool of discipline. It is a tool to get their attention, so there's a famine in the land. That means people aren't eating as well as they would like to. There's social and physical unrest. You can't really necessarily be very content when you don't know where your food is going to come from tomorrow. So there's social and physical unrest. And then I think this, is, this might just be God kind of being ironic. It says that this is all happening in the town of Bethlehem. Now, um, if you know scripture, uh, uh, we, we know that the, uh, Bethlehem is where Jesus was born, right? This is the city of David. And if you're not familiar with it, this is, Bethlehem is a, is a central piece in God's story. Bethlehem, the original word of Bethlehem also means uh, like storehouse of food, like a house of bread. So we have a famine going on in a town called Food. Things aren't exactly going well, okay? So uh, we have this, the this, this story starts with Elimelech. And he tries to make a good decision and it completely backfires. I don't know if you guys have ever been in that situation where you've uh, tried to make a good decision and it completely backfires. But Elimelech, there's no food for his family. He's got two sons and a wife and so he, he hears that there is food in this city called Moab. So he, tra- he travels, he takes his family and he travels to Moab. Now, uh, again, uh, uh, this is, this is going to be, might be drinking from a fire hose f- for some of you. But I was, I, uh, we need to understand the historical um, tenets bef- uh, if we want to understand the whole story of Ruth. Moab was no place that God wanted his people. Moab was no place that God wanted his people. See, uh, Moab, the, 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 the people of Moab started um, in the Old Testament. There's a guy named Lot, and uh, he was in this really sick and disgusted town uh, called Sodom. And uh, God told him to leave Sodom because there was a lot of weird, sexual, disgusting things going on. So he takes his family and he leaves Sodom. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but he leaves Sodom and he runs away. And uh, now it's just uh, his wife looks back at Sodom longingly and, and uh, she's turned to a pillar of salt. And so now it's Lot and his daughters and they go live in a cave because he's kind of scared of what's going to happen uh, with his family, right? He doesn't know where to go. So he's living in this cave. His daughters get this brilliant, now, mind you, they're from Sodom, okay? Uh, it's, not a, they're not, it's not a good city, okay? They're, uh, they get this bright idea, hey, we don't have anybody to take care of us. We don't have any husbands. We don't have any male people in our lives other than our father. Hey, I got an idea. Let's get him drunk and sleep with him. Okay, this is in, in Scripture. Not good. Not good, okay? So they do, and they have his daughters now have sons, and one of the sons' name was Moab. Moab goes on, and his offspring become the Moabites. So we have the Moab people who are product of incest. Not good. God does not look down lovingly on these people. They are living in sin. Um, 
there is just a pattern of sexual immorality in the city of Moab. Elimelech took his family to Moab. Of all the places, why would you take your family to Moab? See, uh, and, and what's worse is he has two sons, and we see as well that he did not tell his sons who to marry because they took Moabite wives. Uh, whenever you see Moab in Scripture, it's never good. It, it's, it's never great. And, and, and if God ever tells somebody to go to Moab, he always tells them, don't take Moabite wives. Find, go outside and go back to Israel and find uh, wives from your homeland. But Elimelech did not do this with his family. See, Moabite women in Scripture, they were known for seducing men. They were kind of like Hollywood women. They're really good at seducing you, but they're not very bright, okay? <laughs> Elimelech's sons take Moabite wives. This is not a good way to start the story of Ruth. It's not a good way to start the story of Ruth. See, we can learn a lot from uh, Elimelech. He sinned, or he took his family away from God in two ways. He took his family away from God by location. He took his family away from God by location. Uh, he didn't consult God when he left Israel, or when he left uh, uh, Bethlehem. He didn't consult God. See, the, the, the lesson we can learn here is that God cares about where you are. God cares about where you live. God cares about the job you have and where you're working and, and how you're living. God cares about that. He has placed you in Mill Creek or Snohomish or Bothell or Lake Stevens, or if you're really crazy, I don't know, I don't think anyone's from Bellevue, but, right? Uh, he's placed you here for a reason. Sometimes we move and, and we don't consult God. Elimelech did not consult God. If he had, he, he would have seen that God would not have told him to go to Moab. If he, if he did tell him to go to Moab, he certainly would have said, make sure your sons don't marry Moabite women, because they're no good. Elimelech moves his family away from God spiritually. He moves his family away from God spiritually because he doesn't guide his sons into who to marry. Now, I want to take this time as from a, the heart of a youth pastor to talking to parents. Um, it is your spiritual obligation, fathers, to be involved in your daughters' and sons' uh, relationships. Okay? If, if, if you've got a daughter and she's in high school and, and, and she's interested in a little boy, you better make sure you know who that guy is. Okay? Um, he, you invite him over to your house and put your shotgun shells out on the counter and just, just to make sure that he knows. No, I, I'm serious though. It is a, it is a obligation and a privilege that you have to be involved in your sons and daughters' lives. Elimelech did not do that. So as a, as a Christian man or as a Christian father and a Christian mother, this is your job. When it, when, especially when it comes to leading your kids spiritually, please be involved in their lives. Please be involved in their lives. Their I-group leaders are certainly involved in their lives. I'm certainly involved in their lives. But you know who is the most, has the most opportunity to speak into their lives is their parents. It's you guys. So that means, especially when it comes to in dating relationships, when it comes to that, that, that means you're asking them as much as it might pain you, hey, why don't you, why don't you bring your new boyfriend out to dinner with us? <laughs> I know that 
That might not be the most comfortable thing. But what that does is it allows you to speak into their lives. It allows you to help determine who they're spending time with, who they're getting close with, okay? And I bet there's some students that are like, Brooks, shut up. (laughs) Elimelech did not not, uh, lead his family spiritually. Men, we can learn from this. We can learn from this. That means, uh, men, we, we need to listen to God before making decisions. We need to listen to God before making... We need to consult God before making decisions. Um, uh, so often, uh, uh, we just make a decision without even praying about it. I would say, uh, men and fathers, we need to uh, go to God consistently with our decision-making. If Elimelech had, I don't think he would have ended up in Moab. We need to consult the Bible before making decisions. It seems like oftentimes when we make a big decision, some, we, we will consult everything but Scripture. We are underneath this book. We are underneath the words in this book. God wrote this book, and, and, and this dictates truth in our lives. And so often we will consult so many other things besides Scripture. We'll talk to our wives or spouses. Hey, that's good. Wanna, that, that's good. Always include them in your decision-making. Include your spouse in your decision-making, okay? We'll talk to our neighbor. We'll talk to our friends. We'll talk to the, the, the grocery clerk, clerk at the store. We'll talk to the person who cuts our hair. We'll even go onto Facebook and Twitter and Google and make sure we're making the right decisions, but we fail to go here. See, if Elimelech had, he would have known, if he, if he had studied the history, he, he would have known Moab isn't a good place. We need to be in this word so that we can know how God wants us to live, the decision God wants us to make. See, maybe Christians, maybe we, maybe we just need to be people that put down our phones and Facebook a little bit more and pick up the word. I think it would change because if we are in this less and less, we're going to come more and more like the world. And God has given us a manual. He's given us a, a, a letter for us to know how to lead our lives to decisions that we make. We must be in this word. Okay, rant over. In the middle of a, in the middle of a, a, a difficult situation, we have um, Elimelech dies. We have his sons have died. We have Naomi, who is widowed with two daughters who are Moabite women. And now she's left without any means of support. And they're in a foreign land away from their God. This is not a good situation. And then Ruth 1 through 8. I'm going to read this here. Ruth one, um, sorry, Ruth 1, 8 through 9, says this. says, But Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, this is a good word, kindly with you as you have dealt um, uh, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Here's what's happening here. She's telling her daughters, her daughter-in-laws to go back to their mother's house, okay? 
and saying, maybe you'll find another husband who can take care of you. This is a, probably a, a good thing that Naomi is doing. But this word sticks out here. This, there's a word that sticks out that is very important. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. This word kindly uh, is very important in the book of Ruth. Because God's redemption, if we have any hope, it comes from God's kindness. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, kindness is a good word. Oh man, you guys got to wake up this morning. Kindness is a good word. It means uh, this is more than just um, God is nice to his people. This is more than just God is, uh, uh, plays nicely with, with his people. This is, this is indication of God's covenant loyalty, which means God has made a promise to you. God has made a promise to his people, and he is uh, committed to keeping that promise. He is committed to hanging on to you and making sure that you prosper, okay? He is, he, he is committed, even though we fail him time and time and time again, he is committed to us. This is God's kindness. It is, it is an indication of his loyalty to his covenant, okay? He is loyal to his people. This, is an, uh, this, this word means it's an indication of hope because uh, we don't have any hope in life unless God is involved. So this is uh, his covenant, his kindness, means we have hope in hopeless situations. When things feel dark, when things feel uh, hopeless, there is, because of God's kindness, we know that there is redemption. We know that there is hope. And this often is a turning point. It is a turning point in this story. Naomi starts talking about the kindness of God. We will see later that she gets very angry with God. But she starts talking about the kindness of God, and it is a turning point in the story. God's kindness can be a turning point in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what, uh, uh, all the difficulties that are in your life. But if you can grasp the kindness of God, it will be a turning point for you. Ruth 1, 15 through 18. We see that Ruth does not want to leave Naomi. She said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her God. See, this is the Moabite. This is what, this is what it means to be a Moabite, is that you have other gods besides the one true God. Okay? So that, look, you, you see your, your, your sister Orpah has gone back to, Mo, to Moab and she's gone back to her gods. But Naomi won't leave. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord talking about the one true God, do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Man, we get this profile of Ruth. This is the first time uh, that Ruth shows up in this story and she shows up in a really big way. Following Naomi was pretty much a death sentence. Naomi didn't have any family. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have someone to make sure she had food on the table. 
This is a lot different back then than it was now. Uh, 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 Naomi couldn't just go out and get a job, okay? You had to rely on kinsmen. You had to rely on your family. You had to rely on your husband. So Ruth is following Naomi to possible death, and it seems like she understands that. She says, where you die, I will die, and I will be buried right with you. Wow, Naomi, or Ruth, it was devoted to Naomi. Not really sure why. But we can see this characteristic, this, uh, this, um, this profile of Ruth. Ruth. Ruth had a heart after God. Ruth had a heart after God. See, Ruth was a Moabite, bad, but she longed for God, which is good. So Ruth was, uh, she grew up not knowing the name of the one true God, not knowing God of the Bible, not knowing the Israel God, maybe hearing of this God, but she grew up knowing her Moabite gods, okay? And she decides to be committed to Naomi. She decides to uh, stick with Naomi. She was not satisfied with her life in Moab. I want to ask you, have you gotten yourself into a Moab? Have you gotten yourself into a place that you know God doesn't want you to be? Have you maybe followed the way of Elimelech and gone somewhere where you know you're not supposed to be here? You're you're not being faithful to God. You're not listening to God. And you've gotten yourself into a place like Moab. The message here is that God does not want you to be satisfied with Moab. God does not want you to be satisfied with your sin. God does not want you to be satisfied where you're at. Man, we get so satisfied in life, don't we? We get so content and comfortable in life. Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know my decisions have led me to this place that's just uncomfortable. I know I'm in disobedience to God, but it's okay. I'm comfortable here. I've been here for 10 plus years, just like Naomi. Now I'm comfortable But Ruth was not comfortable. She was not satisfied being in Moab. She wanted, she knew there was a God out there that she wanted to serve. Let's be like Ruth and not be satisfied and comfortable where we're at. She had a heart after God. She says, your people shall be my people. She wanted to be where God was. How cool is that? She wanted to be where God was. Do you want to be where God is in your life? Are you trying to get closer to God in your life? Or is it just Sunday mornings? Let's have a heart after God like Ruth. Let's, Ruth had a, had a heart of God. <laughs> she had a heart of God. And what, what I mean by this is, she says, where you die, I will die. This for, Ruth's devotion and love to Naomi You guys get this? It foreshadows Jesus' love and devotion to you. As uh, as Ruth was devoted to death to Naomi, Jesus is devoted to you. Uh, See, Jesus is a true and better Ruth. Ruth is a type of Jesus. She foreshadows Jesus' love and devotion to you. 
So we can see this and we say, man, look how, look how much, look how crazy Ruth was in her life. Look how much she, she forsake to follow after Naomi. She, she was clinging to Naomi. And just as Ruth was clinging to Naomi, Jesus is clinging to you. If you've committed your life to Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, we can know with full certainty that Jesus clings to us. He said, I want to go where you're going. There's a, a friend of mine who's not around anymore. His name is Charles Spurgeon. If you know him, he lived a long time ago and he's dead. But he says this. <laughs> he says, As for me, I so deeply believe in the immutable, that means unchangeable, I so deeply believe in the immutable love of Jesus that I suppose that if one believer were to be in hell, Christ himself would not long stay in heaven but would soon cry, to rescue, to rescue. Friends, Jesus is chasing you. And if you're running away from Jesus, he's just going to keep chasing you and chasing you. We're going we're gonna to take communion. I'm going to have the ushers come forward and, and uh, uh, sh- um, what is it? share the communion, pass the communion. See, we see how, how faithful God is, how, how much it, it, uh, the, the faithfulness of God is foreshadowed with Ruth. Because Ruth was devoted. She loved Naomi with no real reason to. God has no real reason to share his love with us other than the fact that he desires us to be redeemed. See, Jesus' love is like Naomi's... Thank you. Like Ruth loved Naomi, Jesus is loving us. He he, he, He forsaked everything in heaven to come here on this earth so that we could experience him. See, I think a lot of us have this idea that God's plan is to repurpose us. See, we're kind of like a train wreck. We're kind of like a car wreck. And we're dirty and we're beaten up and, and, and we're not functioning the way that we're supposed to function. And, you know, the best thing that we can hope for is to be repurposed. Like, okay, yeah, I'm broken, but maybe someone can find a use for me. Maybe God will find a use for me. Friends, God has a use for you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. He doesn't want to repurpose your life. He wants to redeem your life. Maybe you're you're like this, this car that's destined for the junkyard and... Jesus has come to you and says, I want to make you like you were originally designed. I want to to make it look like you did right when you came off the lot. I want to make you look righteous. I want to make you perfect. That's God's mission through Jesus Christ. And this is so much better than than hoping we can be made into something someday. Jesus promises that if we come to him, if we come to him, 
that he will make us righteous. And, and so much so that, that his, his, he said, I, I'm welcoming you with, with open arms. Spread on the cross. And he said, and, and, and he goes to the cross expla- exclaiming that if you just come to me, I will make you righteous. If you just take a step towards me, I will make you righteous. Just surrender your life to me and I will make you righteous. He wants to redeem us like he was in the business of redeeming in Ruth, in, this book, in the book of Ruth. The, we're we're going to take communion and this, this shows us how far Jesus went to redeem us. Because with, uh, when he was with his disciples uh, the night before he went to the cross, could you imagine that? Eating, eating dinner with, with people. You know it's going to be the last time before you're, before your death. But he, he says something very, very important, and, and you know, we can so gloss over this, but he gave everybody, right? We know, we know what happened. He gave everybody this, this bread, and he says, here, take, eat, eat of this. And he says, and, and know that this is my body broken for you, because, friends, it took a broken body to make ours whole. He said, do this often, and, and when you do it, remember why I have, I have died, why I am going to die, he's telling his disciples this, because without my death, all you can be is repurposed, but with my death, you can be redeemed. He said, take, eat. And then there was, there was wine. We have a little grape juice, right? And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, you will not be made clean. She says, take this and drink. And whenever you do it, remember that this, this blood that I shed, is, that's what it cost. That's what it cost to make you clean. He said, take, drink. Jesus is wildly, emphatically, Devoted to you. As Ruth left everything to follow Naomi, Jesus is chasing after you and he is wildly devoted to you and wants to redeem you, wants to see you in, a, uh, in the perfect state that he created you in. Let's pray. Father God, give us, a, give us a deeper picture of what you've done for us. Give us a stronger picture of of what you've done for us. Help us live uh, as redeemed people. Thank you for giving us the illustration that that as, as, uh, as Ruth was devoted to Naomi, that you're even more devoted to us. Thank you for your love in our lives, and may we live completely in response to you and the work that you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.